0: What's up, everyone? This is Ink from the 25th Hour Podcast. I'm back with this week's episode. As most of you know, if you listen to the preview episode, we are going to talk about the sexual assault statistics of men and all the things that go along with that. Uh, this is a two-part episode. So this week is going to talk about most of the national statistics uh, surrounding sexual assault in men. Next week, we will actually have a Survivor story on the podcast. It will be told by me. Um, Some of the names have been changed in this story solely based on privacy. But all the events that will be detailed, they are actual events that have happened. So uh, do tune in for that as well. Um, So let's go ahead and dive down into this week's information in regards to sexual assault Uh, before I get started though I do want you guys to understand that sexual assault is always always wrong no matter what uh, type of relationship you're in you should never feel that if you're being assaulted that you can't report it whether it's your spouse it's a husband it's a wife um, a girlfriend boyfriend a live-in roommate anyone family member doesn't matter sexual assault is wrong and that anytime there is assault, that it should always be taken serious. It should always be reported to the authorities immediately. So that way, criminal charges can be pressed and that person can face the justifications of the court system as well as the judicial system. I just wanted to get that out of the way. Uh, so here we go, guys. According to one in these are the some of the national statistics that they have on their website. Um they are a nonprofit based organization that represent the one in six men who are assaulted in this country and in the world around that is reported. Um, it's an organization that focuses on just um, sexual assault with men. They have lots of different resources, outreach, They have some counselors there set up, and as I said, they're a non-profit organization. So this is where a lot of the information I about to talk about came from. Um, There's not too many organizations like One in Six because sexual assault on men is such a taboo topic. It's not as talked about and widespread as the assault on women, not dignifying that men's assault is less than valued than women or women's shouldn't be talked about more than men's. As a matter of fact, I think both of them should be talked about equally because it's a serious topic that everyone faces. It doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter your sexual orientation. Anyone and everyone can be sexually assaulted, and it's wrong. So, again, one in six men in their lifetime will be sexually assaulted. So think about it. You are in a room with a hundred guys, One in every six, if you line them up, will have been sexually assaulted in their life at least one time. Minimum one time. That's a lot. Uh, Just with 100 men in a room, that's a lot of people. Now the statistic for women, I just want to throw this out there, it's one in four. That's seriously a high number as well. That should not be, neither side should have that. We should be at zero. Unfortunately, we aren't. Maybe one day we will be. But until then, men are at 1 in 6. Women are at 1 in 4. A study by the U.S. Center of Disease Control showed in 2005 that 16% of all men by the age of 18 had been sexually assaulted by someone in their life. So think about this. 16% of all males under the age of 18, by the time they hit 18, they've been assaulted. 90% of these assaults are going to come from someone they know. And the reason why that happens, we're going to talk about this for just a minute, is that kids, uh, whether they're boys or girls, are trusting of adults. And so adult predators, whether they're male, whether they're female, it doesn't matter. They are able to get children to follow the lead, basically, into an assault over someone who's 18, someone who's more rounded in you know, the ideas and the principles based around sex. Because children, um, they obviously, they trust adults. An adult tells us, don't cross the road. That's dangerous. You get hit by a car. So obviously, what do you do? You hold an adult's hand. You look both ways before you cross the street. You're not thinking that this adult who just told you, hey, don't put that fork inside that light socket, you can get hurt, is going to be the same adult that literally takes you into a bedroom and assaults you later on tonight. That is not the process and thinking of of the mind of a child. That child is thinking, oh, that person doesn't want me to get hurt. They must love me. Whether it's a babysitter or it's an aunt, it's an uncle, it's a parent, it's a guardian, it's a step-parent, it's your grandparents, it's the babysitter, it's somebody in the neighborhood. It doesn't matter. The child's mind does not believe that they're going to be led directly into danger by that adult or older person. It's not always an adult. Sometimes it's just an older child that's maybe... Right under 18, maybe they're a little over 18, so they kind of are an adult, but they're not an, a full adult, as most of us older people look at, you know, kids that are 18, we're still like, you're a baby. Even though they're recognized in the eyes of a law, other than as an adult, we still see them as kids. That's just the way things are, deal with it. So again, no child is seriously sitting around going, you know, I bet so and so is going to hurt me. We're gonna break my arm tomorrow because I did something they didn't like. That's not the thought process. The thought process is that this person is going to protect me. They are going to keep me safe. So by doing so, that's where that 16% comes from. That 16% of males truly believe that the person that that assaulted them was going to keep them safe at all times. And unfortunately, that trust was betrayed. In 2003, a national study actually showed 142 men by the age of 18 were assaulted. Um, Unfortunately, it didn't give me a whole lot of what the gene pool was, whether this was how wide the amount of people that they conducted this study with for the 2003 study, but 142 assaults that were reported in 2003, that's still a very, very high number. Um, that's not a number that I'm comfortable with at all. I would like that number to be zero. Uh, in 1998, more childhood sexual assault and abuse is a common problem It's with males. It's an underreported, underrecognized, and undertreated process. For um, the undertreated uh, referring to the mental um, anguish that comes after the fact. Um, Some of those things include PTSD, night terrors, intimacy problems, sexual arousal problems. 1996. This goes way back. Boston University found that 16% of men, so we're still at that 16%. In 1996, ladies and gentlemen, 96. All the way to 2005. That number didn't raise, which is good. But it damn sure didn't go down. That's a problem. That's a serious problem. That number should be decreasing. We need to find a way to decrease that number. Uh, We found that a lot of times men are less likely to talk about the trauma um, in regards to what's going on in their, you know, in the assault and what's happened after the fact. Uh, Reason for that is a lot of that is the shame. And I want to focus on that for just a second. And that is because as a society, when you're growing up as a boy, you know, you fall down, you skin your knee, everyone looks at you, go, oh, toughen up, rub some dirt on it. You'll be fine. Stop being such a baby. Well, that kind of, that's imprints in your head. You know, every time you fall down, you get hurt. People are telling you to stop acting like such a baby about it, suck it up, be a man. And then you get hurt in a bigger light. Uh, maybe you get your first heartbreak. And people are telling you, just get over it. Just toughen up, be a man. When you're hurting emotionally, so then something like an assault happens, you don't, you instantly don't tell anybody because you think right back to the first time that you were, you were emotionally hurt, you know, and, and it was a big hurt, you know, such as a first heartbreak or something, uh, traumatic. Maybe you lost a parent, maybe you lost a grandparent, or you lost a, a family animal. And people told you, they looked at you and told you to toughen up and to stop crying and stop being a baby. You instantly know that by telling them that there was something that happened to you that was traumatic, they're going to tell you the same exact thing. That's their—that's the initial response you get in your head. So why even bother talk about it if the only response you're going to get is to toughen up, to rub some dirt on it, to shut up, stop acting like a baby, stop crying? You don't need to hear that because you remember how it felt the last time you talked That you were told those things, it really hurts. So, you don't need that, you don't have that support. They're not going to talk about it. So, you internalize those things. And internalizing it, what ends up happening is it starts to create friction inside of you. It creates conflict that you don't actually even realize you're doing. It actually internalizes so bad that most of the time, the rage and anger that a lot of people see. And people who later come out, that is that rage and anger. That anger that they have, that rage, that frustration is actually stemming from the abuse and the unhealthy coping mechanisms. The mind itself has actually created that when it feels betrayed, instead of being upset, it becomes angry. Because now it's like, I'm not going to feel hurt by anyone because if they hurt me I'm going to hurt them. So that's where some of, you know, the things that happen where people become hostile, they become angry. Now is that a reason for domestic abuse? Absolutely not. That's a whole separate issue right there and domestic abuse is, let me clarify, never in any form, man or woman, okay? And that's not an excuse to hit someone because you had a bad childhood. It's not. There are scientists that have proven, you know, that it's not true, but then the psychologist will say, oh, yes, it is. You know, the human this. I don't give a shit. That's human behavior called um, being a decent human fucking being, plain and simple. If you're a trash person because you beat the shit out of somebody, you're a trash person because you beat the shit out of somebody. You don't need to try and dress it up with fancy ass words and try and make everyone sound stupid because you have a degree. You either go through something and never hurt anyone at all because you never want to feel something like that again. Or you go through something and you try and destroy someone else because you want them to feel just as shitty as you do. And for that, you're a piece of shit. I said what I said and I stand behind it. I don't need a medical degree to stand behind that. That's on facts. And you can, you know, argue with me all you want on it. That's just human nature. Either you're a good person or you're not. But that's getting off the topic. Uh, some of the things that go on with that internalization that I just talked about um, is PTSD. And most people who know anything about PTSD, you instantly think of veterans. Um, that's a very talked about topic with you know veterans is the post-traumatic stress syndrome that they face when they come home. From seeing traumatic events, but actually, it's been scientifically proven with data that civilians actually have more PTSD than veterans do. Now, not demonizing veterans and the PTSD that they have or saying that a civilian's PTSD is worse, there's just more documented cases, and that's what I mean by that. There's more documented cases of civilian PTSD. This is probably because um, medical records in the military, well, they're very hush-hush. The military is very hush-hush about a lot of things. So that's probably why we know more about the civilian PTSD than we do um, veteran PTSD. And the veteran PTSD numbers actually, I believe, come only from inactive duty, which means those people are no longer active military. Um, They've been discharged. They've been able to go to the VA, they're they're talking to a doctor about, like I said, they're the reported cases. Um, drug and alcohol abuse is higher in someone who has suffered abuse. Um, that's a given for both males and females, anyone who most times when you have a drinking problem or you have a drug problem, that stems from something. Um, whether it's abuse, whether your parents did it, whether... You lost something as a child, maybe, you know, or there are cases, though, where somebody who grew up in a perfect household, their parents, you know, were home every night. They had the Leave it to Beaver household. And mom was a homemaker. Dad worked and came home and they sat down. They had Sunday dinner. They had dinner every night. Dad read the paper. No one was ever beat. No one ever raised their voices. And they had a silver spoon in their mouth. Nothing bad happened. And they became a junkie. There's no proof to show that abuse is the only reason why people turn to drugs and alcohol. But it is proven that a lot of times people who do face those hardships turn to those things. Because that's a way of turning off the emotions. It's a way of turning off how you feel. Um, when you're drunk, you're not thinking about the bad day you're having. You're thinking about how good you feel. It's what happens after, you know, the hangover When you you know you have that hangover, then you're like, Fuck, I don't wanna drink again. Why was I drinking this much? Why did I do this to myself? And you're like, Oh shit, I had a shitty ass day yesterday. I got fired from my job, my girlfriend or boyfriend broke up with me, you know, my dog got ran over by a car, whatever the fucking reason is, you turned to drugs or alcohol, whatever it is, to take away that bad day.